It's Thursday at 3 o'clock, and you are listening to the Eagle's Nest on Weagle 91.1 FM, talking all things sports with a special focus on our Auburn Tigers here on the Plains. Your calls are welcome at 334-844-9345 or 334-844-WEAGLE, and you can also find me on Instagram at Locke. Let's climb into the nest. Welcome into the Eagle's Nest. This is your host, Daniel Locke. Coming to you live from the Bradley Basin Studio and the Harold Melton Student Center on the campus of Auburn University, we have a loaded show here today, and I am looking forward to breaking it all down for you. As always, if you want to be a part of today's action, you can DM me on Instagram at thedaniellocke or tweet at me at danieljlock. Without further ado, let's talk some sports. Week 8 in college football is pretty fun despite Auburn being on a bye week. On Thursday night, Coastal Carolina Chanticleers went to Boone, North Carolina to face off against the Appalachian State Mountaineers. And let's just say, Coastal Carolina is undefeated no more. The 14th ranked Chanticleers fell to the Appalachian State Mountaineers 30-27. Grayson McCall had a decent enough game for Coastal Carolina going 15 of 23 for 291 yards and one touchdown, but that was not as good as Chase Bryce for the Mountaineers, going 18 for 28 for 347 yards and two touchdowns. The game's best rusher is definitely Nate Knoll of the Mountaineers, picking up 82 yards and off of 16 carries. And definitely the undisputed best receiving game on this one was Malik Williams of App State catching for 206 off of 10 catches and one touchdown. It was a very fun game. It was a in my opinion a good week good way to get the weekends of college football started. I bet there are a lot of poor people in the Myrtle Beach area that do not share that same sentiment, but it was a lot of fun. Moving on, the 21st-ranked SMU Mustangs hosted the Tulane Green Wave. Tulane has caused some problems for people this year, such as Oklahoma, but yet their 1-6 record and being 0-3 in the conference would not reflect that. But I honestly still believe that Tulane is a little better than that 1-6 record implies. Tanner Mordecai went 30-42 for for 427 yards and three touchdowns for SMU. Trey Siggers caught or ran for 81 yards off of 15 carries and two touchdowns. Pretty good day there. Tajay Spears ran for 85 yards off of 14 carries for Tulane. And Tulane's quarterback, Michael Pratt, had kind of a just an average day going 11 of 22 for 234 yards and three touchdowns. Moving into the Wake Forest versus Army game, I really think that we need to reevaluate where the $800 million yearly defense budget is going because the Army Black Knights gave up 70 points to the 16th-ranked Wake Forest Demon Deacons. Sam Hartman had an awesome day for the Deeks, going 23 of 29 for 458 yards with five touchdowns. Army quarterback Jabari Laws went 9 of 11, 140 yards and three touchdowns. Christian Beal Smith was your leading rusher for the Deeks, picking up 71 yards and a touchdown off of eight carries. Your leading rusher for the Army Black Knights is Tyhear Tyler, picking up 104 yards and one touchdown off of 15 carries. A couple of good receiving performances on either side. Jakari Robertson for Wake Forest caught for 157 yards off of eight receptions, and A.T. Perry had 146 yards off of six receptions, both those guys for Wake. And for Army, Isaiah Alston caught for 107 yards and two touchdowns off of six catches. Moving on into a history-making game, the... Number 7, Penn State Nittany Lions hosted the Illinois Fighting Illini for their homecoming game. I was on the way to Atlanta when I was watching this game. I was watching on the phone in the car with my friends going to see Slipknot that night. Very, very fun concert. Very fun weekend. 
but I do have to admit, as someone who has a newfound soft spot for the Penn State Nittany Lions after traveling up there early this year, this one was hard to watch. It went to nine overtimes, and if you don't know, college football has kind of messed with the overtime rules a little bit. It used to be that in each set, both teams would start from the 25-yard line, but in order to speed up the process, now it's just after two overtime periods, they start going for two-point conversions, sort of like penalty kicks in soccer. So they were going back and forth. No one could score. In the ninth overtime, the Fighting Illini were able to get it done to break the Nittany Lions' hearts on homecoming. Archer Sitkowski for Illinois went 8 of 19 for 38 yards and one interception. Now, if you had told me that that is what a starting quarterback of a team did and that team still won the game, I would not believe you, not for one single second. On the other side, for the Penn State Nittany Lions, Sean Clifford went 19 of 34 for 165 yards and one touchdown. This game was, I don't even know what to say about it. Um, just no offense here. Noah Kane, Penn State's leading rusher, picked up 43 yards off of 11 carries. What, in my opinion, won the Fighting Illini to game was Chase Brown, picking up 233 yards and one touchdown off of 33 carries. A great day there. Penn State fans have a little saying in reference to star receiver Jahan Dotson where they say number five is always open. Well, number five was only open six times and caught for 69 yards on Saturday. Less than stellar from what we've seen from this Penn State team this year. The Northwestern Wildcats went up to the big house to play the sixth-ranked Wolverines. Michigan got it done in convincing fashion, picking up the 33-7 win. The Oklahoma Sooners traveled over to Kansas to play the Jayhawks. They almost got scared. Um, Kansas played this game really tough. I do have to hand it to them. Spencer Rattler did not take a single pass on Saturday. It was all Caleb Williams. Caleb went 15 of 20 for 178 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception. I'm surprised that we didn't see Spencer when Oklahoma looked like they were starting to struggle. On the other side, Jason Bean for the Kansas Jayhawks went 17 of 23 for 246 yards and one touchdown. The star receiver of the game was Daphne Kawami Lassatier II for the Kansas Jayhawks, catching 101 yards off of seven receptions. A good day there. I, I really enjoyed watching this one and the almost upset. The second-ranked Cincinnati Bearcats hosted the Navy Mid... Or, I'm sorry, traveled to Annapolis, Maryland to take on the Navy Midshipmen. They got it done, also kind of getting scared a little bit, winning that one 27-20. The unranked Wisconsin Badgers went to West Lafayette, Indiana and upset the Purdue Boilermakers 30-13. I guess Purdue either upsets or they get upset. They never just do what they're supposed to do. On Eli Manning Day in Oxford, Mississippi, the 12th-ranked Rebels beat up on the checked-out LSU Tigers, winning that one 31-17. This was a good one. I was watching it in the hotel before heading to the concert. I didn't really pay much attention to it, but I, I saw I saw what I needed to see. The Pitt Panthers hosted the unranked Clemson Tigers, still getting used to that, for a game up in Pittsburgh. Kenny Pickett of the Panthers went 25 of 39 for 302 yards and two touchdowns. DJ Ungalele for Clemson went 12 of 25 for 128 yards and two interceptions. I think I've really got that last name down. If I'm wrong, please correct me on social media. Oregon hosted a UCLA in a thriller, getting it done 34-31, to and Alabama got scared for a little bit while there on Saturday night, only beating the Tennessee Volunteers 52-24. to Tennessee played this one tough for a while, and but it was one of those that you just, you kind of never knew. I, I don't know about this Tennessee thing. I don't really think it's legit, but you know, It'll be interesting to see how they do in the next couple years. 
Another military academy played a ranked team close this weekend as the Air Force Falcons hosted the San Diego State Aztecs, who are 22nd in the country. Warner Bryan had another kind of game that highlights how Air Force doesn't really focus on passing as he went 3 of 7 for 58 yards and one touchdown. On the other side, Lucas Johnson for San Diego State went 11 of 13 for 72 yards. That is going to do it for the Week 8 college football segment. Let's get into Week 9. The Troy Trojans are traveling to Myrtle Beach area, Conway to be more specific, to take on the 24th-ranked Coastal Carolina Chanticleers. You know, I went to the Troy Coastal game in Troy last year. Me and my best friend Will didn't have anything going on. We decided to go over there. I had a great time. That was an awesome game. I think that Coastal is going to get it done, though. Miami going on the road to take on Pitt. I think Pitt's red hot right now. Miami is not. Um, I'm going to go with the Pitt Panthers to get it done in convincing fashion. The ninth-ranked Iowa Hawkeyes are traveling up to Madison, jump around with the Wisconsin Badgers. I am, I'm going to keep it going. I'm going to rock with Iowa. In the biggest game this weekend, the 6th-ranked Michigan Wolverines are traveling to face off against the number 8 Michigan State Spartans. I I love this rivalry. It's one of my favorite in-state rivalries other than the Iron Bowl, which I believe the Iron Bowl is second to none when it comes to in-state rivalries. I'm excited for this one. I think it's going to be fun. I'm glad that it is early in the day so I can watch it before heading in to Jordan-Hare to take in the Auburn game. Texas is traveling to Waco to take on the 16th-ranked Baylor Bears. I Baylor's a slight underdog, but I'm not very up on Texas right now. I'm going to rock with Baylor. The second-ranked Cincinnati Bearcats get their turn to have fun with the Tulane Green Wave. I don't think they're going to struggle. I think that they're going to get it done, beating Tulane convincingly. Number 22, Iowa State, is heading to Morgantown, West Virginia, to take on the Mountaineers, who have fallen on some hard times. I'm going to go with the Cyclones. The number one Georgia Bulldogs are hosting the, or not hosting, they're facing off against their rival, the Florida Gators in Jacksonville. They have an 80% chance of winning. The spread is 14 in their favor. I'm going to go with the favorite. I'm going to go Georgia, much to my chagrin. Let's go Gators, get it done. Texas Tech is heading to Norman to take on the fourth-ranked Sooners of Oklahoma. I... I'm going to keep it going. I think that Oklahoma did the right thing, switching quarterbacks. I'm going to keep it up with them this weekend. I think they win. The seventh-ranked Oregon Ducks are hosting the Colorado Buffaloes. I'm going to rock with Oregon to get it done. And the last game that we are going to talk about this week is the big matchup in Jordan-Hare Stadium on Saturday night. The 10th-ranked Ole Miss Rebels and Lane Kiffin are coming into town. The face-off can see 18th-ranked Auburn Tigers. Auburn fans, we need you there. We need you loud. We need you proud. Wear your orange. We can get it done. ESPN thinks we have a great chance to get it done, as we are, in their opinion, have a 58.7% chance to win. The spread is minus 2.5 in our favor. The money line is down 140 for us, up 120 for the Rebels. Over under 66. I am going to take Auburn in the under. I think that Auburn's defense is substantially better than that of Ole Miss. I think that Auburn is going to get it done in convincing, or not in convincing fashion. I think it'll be close, but I'm rocking with the Tigers. That is going to do it for the college football portion of today's show. When we come back, UFC and NHL, you're listening to the Eagles Nest on Weagle 91.1 FM, Auburn's home for student run radio. We will be right back. Welcome back into the Eagle's Nest. This is your host, Daniel Locke. Thank you for coming back and joining us for the second segment. Before the break, we talked college football, weeks eight and nine. If you missed that and want to hear it, the podcast will be up shortly after today's show. So now we're going to get into something 
that I wish was just a little more popular, UFC and the NHL. That statement applies to both those in my opinion. It's been a great couple of weeks for the Ultimate Fighting Championship. This is week two of three weeks in a row of just having awesome events going on. Uh, Last week was just one of their fight night events. Those aren't pay-per-views. Those are just kind of your regular contests. Um, Some guys are still trying to make it big, but I still had fun watching it. You had the second-ranked and the fifth-ranked middleweight in the world facing off. Just a fun time. Now, this weekend, there's a UFC pay-per-view. UFC 267. Blachauez versus Teixeira. It starts at 1 p.m. Central Time over in Dubai. That is early. Um, I'm probably not going to get to see much of it. I'm probably just going to watch the prelims while tailgating for the Auburn game. But I'm just going to run through the fight card real quick before we talk about the NHL. Just kind of give my predictions. So, to open up the prelims, you have the number 15th ranked flyweight in the world, Tazir Ulambakov facing off against Alan Nascimento, making his UFC debut. Tazir is the heavy favorite as the money down, money, money down, I'm sorry, the money line is down 365 in his favor. In another light, in a lightweight bout, Magomed Mustafav is facing off against Demir Ismagalov, and Ismir is the favorite, money line is down 275 for him. Up 120 for Magomed. I'm I'm going with the underdog here. I think Mustafev gets it done and it kind of revitalizes his career here. A middleweight bout between Andre Petrovsky and Hu Yaozong. Andre is the favorite. The money line is down 235 for him. Up 190 for Mr. Hugh. I'm going to rock with Andre here. He's one of my favorite middleweights. I think that he could possibly be maybe the future of this division and who we're talking about in a couple of years. Maquan Amari Kani is facing off against Lerone Murphy in a featherweight bout. Lerone is the favorite. Money line is down 310 in his favor, up 245 for Maquan. I'm not scared to go with the underdogs this event. They're all pretty close in my opinion. I'm going with Maquan to get the job done here. In my favorite division, the light heavyweight division, Samuel Gamastov is facing off against Michael Ilajic in a lightweight, light heavyweight contest. Money line down 145 for Samuel, up 125 for Michael. I'm going to go with the favorite here. I think Samuel gets it done. Elise Dos Santos is facing off against Benoit St. Denis in a welterweight matchup. You know, DraftKings hasn't put up a money line for this one yet. It's a close fight in their opinion. I think so too. However, I think that LSU Dos Santos is going to get the job done and keep rolling. And I think that pretty soon he's going to be up for a title um, fight consideration by Dana White. He's good, folks. Albert Dirov is going up against Roman Koplov in a middleweight bout. Money line down 135 for Albert, up 260 for Roman. I'm going to go with the underdog once again. Roman Kapilov gets it done. In a featherweight contest, Zubira Tukov is facing off against Ricardo Ramos in a featherweight bout. I'm going with Ricardo. Money, He's not the favorite. The money line is up 150 for him, down 170 for Zubira. I, I like Ricardo a lot. He's cool. He can fight. Give me Ricardo. So the final prelim in the women's strawweight division, Amanda Ribas is going up against Verna Jandiroba. Amanda is ranked 12th in the women's strawweight division. Verna is ranked 10th. Amanda's the favorite. Money line's down 160 for her, up 140 for Verna. I'm going to rock with Amanda here. I've been watching her fight for a little while now. She's talented. I think she gets it done. Moving on to the main card, Magomed Ankalov is facing off against Volkan Azdemir in the light heavyweight division. Those guys are ranked 7th and 8th, respectively. Magomed is a somewhat sizable favorite in this one. The money line is down 310 for him, 
up 245 for Volkan. I'm going to rock with Magomad here. I think he gets it done. In the welterweight bout, the number 11th ranked welterweight in the world, Li Jingleng, is facing off against Kamat Shimeov. It's funny, even though Li is ranked and Kazmat is not, Kazmat is a sizable favorite as the money line is minus 590 for him, plus 425 for Lee. You know, I I just don't see that. I don't see it. I'm going with Cosmo, but I don't see him dominating Lee right that. So, in my opinion, it should be more in the 200s. But, like I said, rocking with Cosmo, but I hope that Lee makes it dangerously close, just, just to let those people on that money line sweat a little bit. In a heavyweight bout, Marcin Tibera is facing off against Alexander Volkov. The only thing I really know about this fight is that it's going they're going to hit hard. Number 5th ranked in the world, Alexander Volkov. Number 8th ranked in the world, Marcin Tibera. Heavyweight division. Money line is down 290 for Alexander, up 230 for Marcin. I think that Alexander gets it done and kind of puts him into the line to fight for the belt. Now, this is a big one. Islam Makashev, who is cousins of none other than Khabib Nurmagomedov, is he's the number fifth ranked lightweight in the UFC in yeah, number fifth ranked in the UFC lightweight division, facing off against number sixth ranked lightweight Dan Hooker. Islam won a big fight back in July on fight night. Dan Hooker Lost a fight to Michael Chandler at UFC 257. Conor McGregor versus Dustin Poirier 2. Hooker and Chandler were the co-main event in the UFC's... In Mike Chandler's UFC debut. I'm going to go with Islam here. I think he gets it done. He's a sizable favorite. The money line is minus 650 for him. Plus 460 for Dan Hooker. In the co-main event, Peter Yan, the number one ranked bantamweight, is going up against Corey Sandhagen, who is the third ranked bantamweight. This is for the interim title. Peter is the favorite. The money line is down 235 for him. Corey's the underdog. The money line is plus 190 for him. I've been a fan of Corey Sandhagen for a little while now. I'm going to rock with him. And getting into the main event, it is a contest for the light heavyweight title bout. Jan Blachowicz is facing off against Glover Tashira. Jan is obviously the favorite being the champion as his odds are minus 300. Glover's odds are plus 235. And I was talking to Jacob Hillman in the bullpen earlier today. And I was making the comment that this is not John Jones and Daniel Comier's UFC light heavyweight division anymore. And I would like to see it get back to that point. I think that this fight could have a big potential to kind of springboard that um, light heavyweight division back to life. And I really hope it does, as it is my favorite. So, that is going to do it for the UFC talk today. So now we're going to talk about the NHL. The NHL has been underway for a few weeks now. Um, a lot of great games so far, so we're just kind of we're just kind of gonna talk about what we see. First off, I'm gonna break down the standings in all four divisions as they sit right now, early in the year. So, starting off in the East in the Atlantic Division, the Florida Panthers are in first. They are seven and zero. Next, you have the Buffalo Sabers. They are four one and one. Then. To my surprise, the Detroit Red Wings, they are 4-2-1. If you don't know, the third number in a hockey record is overtime losses. It used to be ties, but back when the NHL eliminated ties from the game, they didn't also eliminate the third number in the record, so now it stands for overtime losses. The Tampa Bay Lightning are 3-3-1. I like seeing Tampa there towards the bottom. It makes me smile. Next is the Toronto Maple Leafs. They are 3-4-1. I like seeing the Maple Leafs kind of down. It just makes me funny because it, it makes me laugh because their fans are kind of mean sometimes without real basis for it. So, yeah, 
get, get what you deserve. My beloved Boston Bruins are next, as they are 3-2, and two, no overtime losses. The thing holding the Bruins back at the moment, I believe, is that they've played fewer games than some of the other teams, like Florida, Detroit, and Tampa have played seven. Toronto's played eight. Boston's only played five. So I think that when Boston gets some more games in, that they will go up in the rankings. Next, you have the Ottawa Senators. They're 2-4-0. and oh, And the Montreal Canadiens are 1-6. and six. I love it. I love seeing the Montreal Canadiens down. Moving into the Metropolitan Division, Washington Capitals are in first, 4-0-3. Oh, Next, you have the Carolina Hurricanes, who are 5-0-0. Oh, oh. Next, New York Rangers, 4-2-1. Then you have the Pittsburgh Penguins, 3-1-2. Next, Columbus Blue Jackets, 4-2-0. Philly Flyers up next, 3-1-1. New York Islanders are 3-2-1. And the New Jersey Devils are 3-2-0. Moving into the West, the St. Louis Blues are 5-0-0. Minnesota Wild, 5-1-0. Winnipeg Jets are 3-2-1. Dallas Stars are 3-3-1. Nashville Predators are 3-4-0, Colorado Avalanche 2-4-0, Chicago Blackhawks 0-5-2. Tough times in the Windy City. Then the Arizona Coyotes, new to the Central Division this year, are 0-5-1. Haven't won a game yet. Very, very tough times for the Coyotes. In the Pacific Division, the Edmonton Oilers are 5-1-0. I love this for Connor McDavid. I hope they can keep it up and make his existence a little more enjoyable as he is the best player in hockey. The Calgary Flames are 4-1-1. San Jose Sharks are 4-2-0. Vancouver Canucks are 3-3-1. Vegas Golden Knights struggling a little bit as they're 3-4-0. The newly found Seattle Kraken are 2-4-1, also struggling a little bit, but to be expected. What, what Vegas did is one of a kind. Anaheim is 2-4-1, and, and Vegas are 1-4-1. That's where the NHL stands. Obviously, it's very likely to change. Some teams that were supposed to be really good are struggling. Some teams that were supposed to struggle are kind of floating for right now. So I'm interested to see how this changes and stays the same as the year goes on. That does it for the UFC and NHL talk. When we come back, next segment is packed. You don't want to miss it. World Series, NBA, and college basketball. You're listening to the Eagle's Nest on Weagle 91.1 FM. Keep it here. Welcome back into the Eagle's Nest on Weagle 91.1 FM. I'm your host, Daniel Locke. So far today, we have broken down weeks 8 and 9 in college football, previewed this weekend's UFC event, and talked about the NHL. Now, we're going to get this segment kicked off with talking about the Atlanta Braves. So, the Braves are in the World Series for the first time since 1999. I was talking to my mom yesterday. I made the joke, I was negative four years old when that happened. You you gotta love it. Even though in 99, the Braves got swept by the New York Yankees in one of the most one-sided World Series ever. This year is going better, at first at least. Atlanta picked up Game 1, Atlanta lost Game 2. Atlanta won Game 1 6-2. A.J. Minter was picked up the win. It was Charlie Morton started that game. And my, oh my, that, that story is phenomenal. He pitched 16 pitches on a broken leg. How about that? Charlie Morton, if you ever hear this, thank you. That is that is awesome. Thank you for doing that for the Atlanta Braves. You're a real hero no matter how this World Series goes. Jorge Soler did awesome in Game 1. Freddie Freeman did good. All the guys did good. The Braves, Soler in the top of the first inning, before the Astros even gotten out, belted one. Solo homer to left field. Austin Riley doubled to deep center, and Ozzy Albies scored off that. In the second inning, Solaire grounded into a fielder's choice to, um, to the shortstop, and Travis Darnode scored. Peterson got tagged out at third. 
In the third inning, Adam Duvall homered to left field. Rosario scored off that as the Braves took a 5-0 lead. In the bottom of the fourth inning, McCormick grounded into a fielder's choice to shortstop. Tucker scored. Guriel safe at third on a fielding error by shortstop Dansby Swanson as Houston made the game 5-1. In the top of the eighth inning, Freddie Freeman hits a sacrifice fly to right field. Dansby Swanson scores. And in the bottom of the eighth inning, Carlos Correa grounded out the second base and Alvarez scored. So the final score of that game was 62. Atlanta had a stolen base by Ozzy Albies in the second inning. So everyone in the United States gets a free taco courtesy of Taco Bell. Thank you, Ozzy. Now in game one, there are only six walks, three for each team. That's why I like to see I don't like walks. I can brag about it that my pitcher in MLB Road to the Show has never had a walk ever in his career. We're on year eight now. We're going to keep that going. We face pitcher, We face batters like men. So strikeouts. Houston had 12. Atlanta had 11. And, you know, game one was great for the Braves. I really enjoyed it. They did great. Unfortunately... Last night's game did not go quite as good as Houston won 7-2, unfortunately. Max Fried was on the mound for the Braves. It was Hugh Curdy on the mound for the Astros. Um, kind of to break down some of the scoring, uh, Alex Bregman, his sacrifice fly in the bottom of the first inning. Jose Altuve scored. In the top of the second inning, Travis Darnold homer to left field. This gave me some hope. Then here's where it kind of started to fall apart. And the very early in the bottom of the second inning, as for the Astros, Cyrus scored on an infield single the second. Tucker scored Guriel second as well. Maldonado singled the shallow left. Guriel scored and Siri scored on a throwing error by left fielder for the Braves, Eddie Rosario. Maldonado got the second safely. Brantley singled the right. Maldonado scored to give the Astros a 5-1 lead. In the top of the fifth inning, Freddie Freeman singled to left field and Travis Darnold scored to make it 5-2 Strohs in the bottom of the sixth. Guriel grounded into a fielder's choice to shortstop, and Alvarez scored. Tucker was safe at second on an error by second baseman Ozzy Albies. And then in the seventh inning, bottom of the seventh, Jose Altuve homered to left field to give the Strohs a three. I'm sorry, let the Strohs win seven to two. Kind of disappointing, but, you know, all Atlanta had to do really was pick up one of the two first games in Houston. Now they get to go back home, and playing at home always helps, especially like Atlanta has a great playoff atmosphere. I'm glad I got to witness it this year in Game 3 versus the Brewers. But I think they're going to be a lot better in that game. Ian Anderson is on the mound for the Braves. Luis Garcia on the mound for the Astros. I think that Atlanta is going to be able to bounce back. I think that they're going to be able to pick up at least two of these, and I think that the Braves are going to. I think the Braves are going to head back to Houston up three-two in the series. I really do. Let's hope I'm right. So now we're going to kind of segue into our NBA portion of today's segment. I'm kind of going to break down what I'm seeing. I'm not going to go as far into divisions. I'm just going to kind of run through everyone's record. Then we're going to look at some of the stats. LeBron has another injury. No surprise there. Um, I'm not going to say anything about that, though, because he'll probably come find me at Weagle and you know, make fun of me on Twitter like he's known to do. Maybe if he just focused on basketball. But, yeah, LeBron James, the GOAT. Yeah. All right. So first, in the Eastern Conference, much to my pleasure, a team that I'm not a fan of theirs, but I like them. The Chicago Bulls are 4-0. Charlotte Hornets, 4-1. I have a lot of friends who are Hornets fans, as I get along really well with multiple people from the state of North Carolina. So let's go, Mello. Lead that team to the promised land, as they are 4-1. Next up, the New York Knicks, they're 3-1. Miami Heat, 3-1. 
Washington Wizards, 3-1. and one. Atlanta Hawks, 3-1. and one. There you go, Jacob Hillman. Let's hope they keep winning for you. Milwaukee Bucks, 3-2. and two. Cleveland Cavaliers are 3-2. and two. It's good to see the Cavaliers kind of getting back to where they were in the mid-2010s with LeBron James, but they're not quite there yet. Still a long way to go. I'm interested to see if they can do it. The Philadelphia 76ers are the first team that, as of right now, are out of the playoff picture. Obviously, that doesn't matter. Most of these teams have only played like one handful of games, so... The call at the playoff picture right now is a little funny, but that's what ESPN says, so that's what they're going to go with. Next up is the Toronto Raptors. They're 2-3. and three. Next is the Brooklyn Nets, 2-3. and three. My beloved Boston Celtics are 2-3, and three, unfortunately. I think they're going to get that turned around, though. The Orlando Magic are 1-4. and four. The Indiana Pacers also 1-4. and four. And the Detroit Pistons have not won a game yet. They are 0-3. Moving to the West, the Golden State Warriors are in first place with a record of 4-0. I have to admit, I like to see this. I wouldn't say I have a soft spot, but kind of a nostalgia for the Warriors teams of the mid-2010s. It's just, it's good to see them back. Like, Steph Curry's playing really well. Klay Thompson's going to be back at some point this year, hopefully. So, I'm interested to see if they can kind of keep this up. Next up is the Utah Jazz, who are 3-0. After that, the Minnesota Timberwolves are 3-1. and one. The Dallas Mavericks are 2-1. and one. The Sacramento Kings are 2-2. Two and two. Portland Trailblazers are 2-2. Two and two. Denver Nuggets, 2-2. Two and two. And to round out the playoff-eligible teams as of now, the Memphis Grizzlies are 2-2. Two and two. So what I'm kind of seeing here is it looks like we're starting to get to a point where the East is kind of playing a little better than the West as of now, which it hasn't been that way for a while. Now on the fringe of teams who had missed the playoffs, first the LA Lakers, they are 2-3. and three. I find a lot of satisfaction seeing this team struggle. Next up is the Clippers, they're 1-3. and three. I find a lot of satisfaction seeing them struggle too. After that, 1-3 Houston Rockets, then the 1-3 Phoenix Suns. That's a big turnaround from playing in the finals. I'm interested to see if they can kind of get this turned around. Like I said, it's still early. I'm sure that it'll be fine. If you're a Suns fan, no need to hit the panic button yet. Then you have the San Antonio Spurs. They're 1-3. and three. I hate to say this because they're another team I have a soft spot for, but I think that kind of the era of Spurs dominance is kind of over for now at least. Then you have the New Orleans Pelicans who are 1-4. and four. Then the, well, in my opinion, the worst record in the NBA as of now is the Oklahoma City Thunder as they are 1-4. Man, the OKC has fallen on some hard times, and that, that's kind of unfortunate because I like when OKC is good. So now just kind of some stats real quick. Your leader in points is John Morant, leader in rebounds, Rudy Gobert, leader in assists, Chris Paul, leader in blocks, Robert Williams III for the Celtics, Celtics, three-pointers made, C.J. McCollum, and your leader in steals is Paul George. Now for kind of the last little last little small bit of this segment, I want to talk about college basketball as it is basically here. Auburn has a scrimmage on Friday night after the volleyball game. If you're in town for the football game on Saturday, I would highly recommend that you check both those teams out, both Brent Crouch's Lady Tigers playing volleyball and the Bruce Pearl's men's basketball team scrimmaging. It's a lot of fun to watch both those teams play. I'm going to be there, so if you are there, tweet at me, and I would be happy if you came up and introduced yourself to me. You know, I always like meeting the supporters of this show, so yeah, come out to that. So, in the AP poll for college basketball, Gonzaga leading the way, no surprise there. They got 55 out of 63 first-place votes. Then you have UCLA, who got the other eleven. Excuse me, the other eight. Then Kansas at three, Villanova at four, Texas at five, Michigan at six, Purdue at seven, Baylor eight, nine Duke, ten Kentucky, eleven Illinois, twelve Memphis, thirteen Oregon, fourteen Alabama. I've got a hand to the Nate Oates. He's doing an amazing job. Fifteen Houston, sixteen Arkansas, seventeen Ohio State. 18 Tennessee, 19 North Carolina, 
20 Florida State, 21 Maryland, 22 Auburn, 23 St. Bonaventure, 24 UConn, 25 Virginia. You know, after last year, I'm glad to see Auburn ranked at 22nd. I like this Auburn team a lot. I think that they are going to be able to compete with college basketball's best this year. I think that they're going to have an excellent season and get back into the tournament, make a deep run. That's just my prediction. We'll see if I'm right. You're listening to the Eagle's Nest on Weagle 91.1 FM, Auburn's leader in student-run radio. I'm Daniel Locke. Keep it here. The Eagle's Nest will be right back. Welcome back into the Weagle's Nest. <laughs> my goodness. Welcome back into the Eagle's Nest on Weagle 91.1 FM. I'm your host, Daniel Locke. We've had a great day so far. So far, we have discussed really all kinds of stuff, but we're going to finish up today with a household favorite, the National Football League, the NFL. So, week seven. The week got started on Thursday Night Football as the Denver Broncos traveled to Cleveland to face off against the Browns. No Baker Mayfield for the Browns. It was Case Keenum in the quarterback seat. Case went 21 of 33, 199 yards, one touchdown. Teddy Bridgewater for Denver. He's a guy a Saints fan. I know him well. But he went 23 of 33 for 187 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. Um, D. Ernest Johnson had a big day on the ground for Cleveland, picking up 146 yards and, two, and a touchdown off of 22 carries. Next up, the Cincinnati Bengals went to play the Baltimore Ravens in Baltimore on the road, and man, did they play great. Joe Burrow went 23 of 38 for 416 yards and three touchdowns and one interception as Lamar Jackson went 15 of 31 for 257 yards and one touchdown. Man, the Bengals did so good. They won 41 to 17. Probably one of the biggest surprises so far this year was seeing the Ravens get thwopped like that by the Bengals. Next up, the Washington football team traveled to historic Lambeau Field to face off against the Green Bay Packers. It was a close game there for a little while. I kept feeling like Washington was going to make it interesting, but it never happened. Taylor Heineke went 25 of 37 for 268 yards. Aaron Rodgers went 27 of 35 for 247 yards and three touchdowns. Devontae Adams had 76 yards and a touchdown off of six catches. Scary Terry McLaurin had 122 yards and a touchdown off of seven catches. Miami and Atlanta played. This was a close one, very competitive. Young Wei Koo got it done with a game-winning field goal to win 30-28. The New England Patriots continued to be Jets killers as the Jets came up to Foxborough and got beat 54-13. Brutal. The New York Giants hosted the Carolina Panthers, and the Giants are continuing their success against NFC South teams this year as they beat my Saints in overtime a few weeks ago, and now they beat the Carolina Panthers 25-3. A lot of people are saying that Sam Darnold might not be so great, but... Danny Dimes went 23 of 33 for 203 yards and a touchdown. Awesome day, awesome day there. The Tennessee Titans hosted the Kansas City Chiefs, and they didn't struggle one single bit. I have to admit, I was surprised. Ryan Tannehill looked like a pro out there, which I guess that's good because he is a pro. But he went 21 of 27 for 270 yards, one touchdown. Derrick Henry threw a touchdown pass, if you can believe that. Patrick Mahomes went 20 of 35 for 206 yards and one interception. Derrick Henry had a good day on the ground, uh, 86 yards off of 29 carries. A.J. Brown did pretty well, 133 yards and one touchdown off of eight catches. Pretty fun game. I enjoyed watching this one on the way back home from Atlanta. My buddy Ben was with me as a Titans fan, so he was very happy. 
So next, the battle of the quarterback swap. Jared Goff and the Detroit Lions traveled to L.A. to face off against Matt Stafford and the Rams. Matt did well, going 28-41 of 41 for 334 yards and three touchdowns. I love Matt Stafford. It's been awesome to watch him play with a good team around him and winning games and doing well. Jared Goff went 22 of 36 for 268 yards, one touchdown and two interceptions. Not going so well there. I think it's definitely safe to say that Matt Stafford caught the better end of the deal. Next up, the Las Vegas Raiders hosted Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles. Derek Carr went 31 of 34 for 323 yards, two touchdowns and one interception. Kenyon Drake ran for 69 yards, 14 carries. Man, there's this game has Alabama written all over it. On the other side, Jalen Hurts for the Eagles went 18 of 34 for 236 yards and two touchdowns. He also ran for 61 yards. He had more rushing yards. He had double the rushing yards that Miles Sanders did. Just an interesting game. Devontae Smith caught for 61. I had a good time watching this one, but nothing really stuck out. It was just kind of just your run-of-the-mill game. Moving on, while we're out west, we're going to go down south a little bit as the Arizona Cardinals hosted the Houston Texans. And Davis Mills went 23 of 32 for 135 yards. He had a 79.6 RTG, which is not so bad. Kyler Murray on the other side went 20 of 28 for three touchdowns and one interception. He did pretty good, obviously. Chase Edmonds has 81 yards off of 15 carries for Arizona. Zach Ertz caught for 66 yards. So did A.J. Green. Pretty one-sided as Arizona got this done and continues their undefeated season. So I'm kind of going to fly through the rest of these so I can get to next week. Or this week, rather. Tampa Bay beat Chicago 38-3. Indiana beat San Fran 30-18, and my New Orleans Saints knocked off the Seattle Seahawks 13-10 on Monday Night Football, and that's the only time I've ever been bored by the Saints. So great job, boys. Y'all finally did it. So now, tonight on Thursday Night Football, Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers are traveling down to Arizona to face off against the undefeated Arizona Cardinals. I have to say, I really like, I think Arizona's going to get it done. The Packers are a little beat up, having some COVID issues. Um, the spread is minus six in Arizona's favor. I'm going to agree. Next up, we have Carolina and Atlanta. My two rivals are playing. Carolina's got a slight edge. I'm going to go with them. An AFC East battle between the Miami Dolphins and the Buffalo Bills. I think the Bills are going to get it done easily at home. Now we have the Chicago Bears hosting the San Francisco 49ers. I think that San Fran gets it done as Chicago has failed to score often. So I think that San Fran is going to have a good time with that. The Pittsburgh Steelers are going to travel to Cleveland to face off against the Browns. Um, I hope the Browns win. I'm really not big on the Steelers at all, so go Browns. The Detroit Lions are hosting the Philadelphia Eagles. It'll be interesting to see if they can finally get their first win on the year. This is definitely the week to do it. The Houston Texans are hosting the LA Rams. ESPN's FPI is giving LA an 85.4% chance of winning. I have to think it'll be something like that. Not going to be a fun day if you're a Houston Texan. The Tennessee Titans are going up to Indy to face off against the Indianapolis Colts. Despite the Titans having a superior record, the Colts are favored to win at home. I don't agree. I think the Titans are going to get it done in somewhat convincing fashion. So, Joe Burrow gets to go to Meadowlands and face off against Zach Wilson and the New York Jets. I have a feeling that Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase are going to have a very fun time and prove why they are one of the best quarterback-wide receiver duos in the NFL right now. 
Next up, the New England Patriots are traveling out to L.A. to face off against the Chargers, a rematch of the 2018 AFC Divisional Round. I think that I think that I think that the Chargers are going to win. I think that they're going to get revenge for that game. The Jacksonville Jaguars, Trevor Lawrence and crew are going to face off against the Seattle Seahawks. Both teams are struggling. I'm going to go with Jacksonville at home. I think that they're going to get it done. Next up, Washington and Denver. Denver is a heavy favorite. Neither team's that good. I'm going to go with the underdog again. I am going to go with Washington. So my New Orleans Saints have a big matchup hosting the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the Superdome. I really hope that the Saints get this done. It would be so awesome to get revenge against them for last year in the playoffs. I'm interested to see if that happens for us. So, next up on Sunday Night Football, the Dallas Cowboys are going up to Minneapolis, Minnesota to face off against the Vikings. I really don't like either of these teams. It's a pretty close matchup. I am going to say that the Vikings get it done at home on Sunday Night Football. And the finish up this week in the NFL on Monday Night Football, Danny Dimes and the New York Jets travel down to Kansas City to face off against Patrick Mahomes. I think that Kansas City is kind of going to get things back rolling here. They're going to get a little tune-up this week, I think. I think that Kansas City gets it done. That's about it for the Eagles Nest today. Be sure to tune in next Thursday at 3 o'clock for more sports action. Once again, this is Daniel Locke signing off. Have a great weekend. See you in Jordan-Hare Saturday night. Be sure, to, be sure to wear your orange. Have a great day and War Eagle. You've been listening to The Eagle's Nest with Daniel Locke on Weagle 91.1 FM. Be sure to tune in next Thursday at 3 o'clock for more sports action on the planes. As always, if you miss out, you can catch the podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you find your podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at TheDanielLock. Until next time, have a great day and we're equal.